If I took all that I got and spread it out on this table, it might not seem like a lot. A once glimmering joy slowly fading from view. All the change in my pockets, not enough. This picture of you Still I've heard all that I have In a moment is hardly a sign Of everything coming my way I believe when I need it It will be mine So let's take this slowly All I need is coming it's just beyond what I can see So if my eyes press forward And fierce alarms turn my head back To see, to see how we got this far And I'll be alright things I can't take when I go I'm just asking for Of everything coming my way, I believe when I need it, it will be mine. So let's take this slowly. All I need is coming, but it's just beyond when I. And fierce alarm Just turn my head back To see To see how we guide this far And I'll be alright And even when I broke down Even when what I got now Is falling faster down beneath the cracks And I don't know when it's coming back Welcome, Jacobs Well Church. 
morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Beth Steinbarger. I'm filling in for Pastor Jonathan. Um, if you would, I would invite you to stand. And then we're going to go ahead and pray for our, our service here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are a good God and a great King, Lord, and we long for your return. Heavenly Father, as we look to worship you, I just pray that we um, give you all the glory in all things and that we can just lay our worries and distractions at your feet. In your name we pray. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he.
All right, I'm having trouble getting my mask off here, so. As you guys know, it can be inconvenient at times. Uh, as we come together to worship the Lord, as we sing about his holiness and his wonder that he is the king, uh, we are also coming here to recognize that we are not the king, uh, that we are often not holy uh, in and of ourselves, that we act in sinful and wayward ways. And throughout scripture, we are reminded of our sinfulness to point us to Jesus. And as we look in Revelations chapter 3, it says, uh, the Lord says this, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today confessing our half-heartedness, confessing our lukewarmness towards you and towards your kingdom and towards your mission, God. Lord, our zeal does not match your grace towards us in Christ. And so we come confessing that sin before you, Lord, that we often are not thinking about your work, but thinking about our work and what we have to do and what we want to get done and our plans and our agendas and not yours, God. And so, Lord, we come confessing this before you, Lord, knowing that you are faithful to forgive when we come confessing our sin. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelations chapter 3 continues with this great hope that God gives to those who come and confess their sin. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And so God gives us this great promise. If we come repenting, even of our half-heartedness, that his desire is to come and to fellowship with us and to forgive us and commune with us. And so we praise God for his grace to us in Christ Jesus. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step,
Amen. God is faithful and we never walk alone. You may be seated. This past week, I'm sure most of you are aware uh, that there was a shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin of a man named Jacob Blake. And while all the details are still coming to bear and we have to be cautious not to rush to judgment, one of the things that has been clear in this time is that we live in a very broken community a community that's hurting very deeply, a very divided community, both in our state, in our city, and in our country. And we need the Lord's help. I don't know if you saw the comments of Jacob Blake's mother, Julia Jackson, but I thought they were extremely helpful. Uh, She had a platform to speak to the nation, and she didn't use her platform to cast bitterness, but she used it to call people to reach out to God. She exhorted us to pray. She condemned the violent rioting and looting that had happened. She calls us to examine our hearts. And then she says this. She said, we need healing. As I pray for my son's healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually, I also have been praying even before this for the healing of our country. God has placed each and every one of us in this country because he wanted us to be here. Clearly you can see by now that I have beautiful brown skin, but take a look at your hand and whatever shade it is, it is beautiful as well. White, black, Japanese, Chinese, red, brown, no one is superior to the other. The only supreme being is God himself. Please, let's begin to pray for healing for our nation. And then she goes on and tells about how she has been praying for the police officers and for people of color in our country. And so I want to receive this exhortation because I think it's a great exhortation to search our hearts, to cry out to God for prayer, to heal our land. Because one thing that is not disputable right now is we are hurting in this world. And so let's pray. Lord God, we come to you. And Lord God, you say that we should do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with you, God. And so Lord, pray that you would help us to do that during this time, Lord. God, we do pray for justice. Whatever that might be, once all of the facts are known, God, pray that justice would happen. We pray for mercy towards one another, Lord God, that we would show grace and kindness towards those who maybe see things a little bit differently than us, God. And Lord, pray that we would walk humbly with you, knowing that we do not know all the details, that we do not know the hearts of men and women, but you do, Lord. And because of that, you are the only hope to change hearts. And so God, pray that you would change our heart and the hearts of those around us, God. Help us to heal these relationships, Lord, to move forward in a way that glorifies and honors you, Lord God. Lord, we need your help so desperately. We have been trying to do this on our own and it continues to fail. And so God, we pray for your gracious and divine intervention to create revival in the hearts of people in this world, Lord, that they would repent of their sin and their hard-heartedness and then humility would move towards you and towards one another. God, you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so Lord, pray that the church would arise and seek reconciliation, not only corporately, but we individually would pursue reconciliation first and foremost with you, but then also with those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Continue to pray. There's a lot of division and heartache, and we so desperately need God's help. If I could have uh, the small group leaders come forward, those that are here, uh, that would be great. Small groups at Jake as well are a big deal. Um, we want people to connect in community to one another. Uh, it's very important. You guys can go ahead and just stand down here and pass the mic. Um, we believe here at Jake's Well Church that your growth in godliness and Christ-likeness is a community project. The word church in Greek, ekklesia, literally means assembly. It means gathering together. And we see early on in the book of Acts that the church gathered together frequently for Bible study and for prayer. And we want to continue that pattern today and help you all to connect uh, to others so that you guys can minister to one another. And so we have, you'll see in your bulletin, there's this small group handout and some of the leaders are here today to share about their small group. And so if you could just briefly share and if you can think of something, share why your group is the coolest, all right? I gave you that charge this morning. No one wanted to play my game. Let's see if you play the game now. So go ahead, Stephen, you can start us out. Uh, is the light on? It is, no. it is there now. We, there we go. Okay. Talk loud. Okay, um, my name is Stephen Burton. Uh, the, the, usually we open this up with a smackdown, which usually means putting We're not down. doing that. We're not doing that. No. It was like a summer smackdown. Yeah. It used yeah. to be that or something like that. But by the way, mine's not their group, so therefore it's better. Okay, no, there right. we go. Okay, um, <laughs> okay. So uh, I have, um, we are doing a, I'm the downtown East uh, Green Bay. We have a Sunday 5 p.m. preview of the sermon. We do have children. We're currently meeting at the church. The co-leader is Jason. Uh, I can never pronounce his last name correctly. Vojan. Fuyan. Fuyan. Um, and he's in my group. That's funny. Yeah. But um, he's the co-leader, and we will more than likely be going back into the community, into a house probably in the east side of the downtown area. But currently, we're going to be at the church 5 p.m. Sunday nights, sermon preview. We do have children. Also, uh, there's a men's Bible study, 6 p.m. Monday nights, and we are studying the book of Luke, and we are about halfway through on chapter 12, and we do not have child care. So. Yeah, so I'm John McKenzie. I'm here on behalf of Mark Kaiser. I'm the younger, taller Mark Kaiser, and we're meeting at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Mark's place. Um, we do a review of the sermon. There is child care if needed. Um, we're going to start by meeting outside until it gets cold. We'll see how long that lasts. You can join via Zoom. And we're cool because we're starting with a bonfire at 913 at the McKenzie's. Um, and then we'll start the study on 920. So we will be the coolest. <laughs> Hi, I'm Woody Richardson. I'm standing in for Dan Kennard. This is the Howard number one on Thursday at 7 p.m. Um, we review the sermon. You think that after Dan gives the sermon, there's nothing more to study. And we find that we have a lot of conversation and really dig into it deeper. Um, because I'm not the leader, I can brag about the leader, Dan Kennard, because he's one of our elders and he does a fabulous job of running the group. So you should come because he's just fantastic. Cool. Oh, no, we do not have child care provided. Hi, I'm Tom Fowler. Uh, I lead the Northwoods group, and we meet at Jim and Bree Byers on Tuesday nights. We review the sermon. Uh, it'll be a mask optional group. We have child care. And uh, any of you that have had any of my wife's goodies, she brings snacks every week or two. So 
That's pretty cool. That's, That's what pretty really cool. makes All us right. cool. Okay. All right. Hi, I'm Ted Keeman. Uh, my wife Jamie and I are hosting the Swamico East Group, which is on the east side of 41. And we're Sunday nights, 6 o'clock. Kids are welcome. And Tom kind of stole my thunder. I was going to say, we won't be the coolest group, but we will be the most blessed group because I'm sure my wife Jamie will bake something. <laughs> and she's excellent at that. She is a good cook. Hi, my name is Linda Gowdy, and I am co-leading a women's Bible study with Helen Havener here at the church on Monday evenings. Uh, we will be meeting for 10 weeks to study in depth the Sermon on the Mount. So we start our class Monday on September 14th. All right, and I'm Spencer Thomas. Uh, we're leading a Tuesday night at 6.30 uh, sermon preview group with childcare available, as well as uh, you're welcome to Zoom in if you're more comfortable with that. Um, we're also pretty cool because my wife makes good treats. So I'll, so I'll just keep that theme running. Group, if your wife makes treats, okay. Um, and then I'm also leading a group uh, for those who struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, and that is kind of TBD for the details. Um, it's going to depend on what kind of people are interested and when, when they're available. Um, this is open to like the greater Green Bay area. So if you know someone at another church that this would be relevant for, feel free to send them my way, give them my contact info. I'd be happy to talk with them. Uh, and hopefully we'll get this started up in the fall. Hi, I'm Dan Pierce, and uh, I lead the uh, Schwabenen uh, Thursday night uh, group. It starts at 6.30, and we finish promptly by 8.30. Uh, we are opening up to child care uh, this year. We haven't done that in the past. And we are in Ashwaubenon at the Pierce's Place, uh, 1410 Ponderosa Avenue. And what's cool about us is just being in Ashwaubenon. Because if you mention that to anyone outside the Northeast Wisconsin area, they can't say it and they can't spell it either. Yeah. All right, I'm Tim Greenmore. Um, we are Sunday night. We're becoming the DePere group, I think. We were the Lambo group, and we are now the DePere group. The Kokens, Alex and Kelly, are going to be hosting Sunday nights from 6 to 7.30. Uh, we rotate through, have dessert. There is child care. We'll be previewing the sermon. Uh, we're going to start by meeting outside as long as weather permits. And then if we have to move inside or when we move inside, we'll plan on wearing masks. And, uh, and yeah, coolest group, I guess, besides the desserts. Um, we've, any given night, we might have 20 kids running around, and kids pretty much define cool, so. There you go. So there you go. And half of them are yours, so. And half yeah, of them. Yeah, so, yeah. so you'll see here on this sheet, um, just, just to note, like, if you sign up for a group, you're not signing up to be a part of a group. You're signing up to get more information from the group, so you can mark as many of these as you want. If you are watching at home, you can also mark, uh, you can go online and see in details about childcare and Zoom availability will be on there as well. So let me pray for y'all. Let me pray for our small groups. Lord God, thank you for these leaders who have stepped up. God, pray that you would bless our small groups, God, that it would be a place where we can grow in our relationship with you, grow in our joy with you, Lord God. And so, Lord, pray that you will empower these leaders and these groups to foster 
that spiritual intimacy where we can grow closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, also, just one more note. Uh, the Kids Bible Reading Challenge ends this Tuesday, September 1st. And so if you've been a part of that, make sure that you check in with Miss Horton to get your uh, book signed off on, okay? So right now we're going to continue in worship with the time of fellowship. Uh, we'll take a minute. Feel free to get up, greet someone that you don't know, and we'll meet back here in one minute for the preaching of God's word. Uh, also, if you need a Bible, be sure to grab one from the back. If you don't have one, you will absolutely need it for the sermon. start to gather back together. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you will absolutely need one. So please be sure you grab one by the offering basket. And as you are seated, if you would please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you have one of our red Bibles, it is page 962 in that red Bible. On February 10, 2001, uh, Trish and I were married and we knew when we got married that we wanted to have children. Uh, we longed to have children. Uh, she wanted a basketball, I, I wanted a basketball team. She wanted a football team. She wanted lots of kids. It's amazing how things kind of change once you have a few, but that's kind of the direction we were headed. But we longed to have children. And because of circumstances in our life, we ended up waiting five years before we started having kids. But when we had our first child, we were so overjoyed and we were in love. And, and, and it, it's amazing how one event, the birth of a child, or one person, that child himself, can really change everything about your life. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, instead of being super interested in playing Mario Kart, I was now interested in watching the cartoon Caillou because my little baby boy, Corbin, loved the movie Caillou or the show Caillou. And because there was actually a dad that was involved in it, and I appreciated that. Instead of spending my money to go golfing, I was now spending my money to buy little baby toys and diapers and things like that, and it was my joy to do so. Instead of you know, spending time um, going and watching college football all weekend long, I would take my, my child on walks and take him to the playground. Um, it was a precious and wonderful time. I actually got to spend the first year of his life being a stay-at-home dad and had precious time with him. But it's amazing how a single event or a single person in your life can change absolutely everything. And that's what we see in today's passage. Today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The last time we were together that I was preaching, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now you don't need to be a theologian to know that between 1 Corinthians 14 and 16 is chapter 15. 
And we're skipping over that right now, not because we don't like that chapter, but because we love that chapter. It's one of the most precious chapters in all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. And so during the Easter season, if you remember, we spent three Sundays looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you weren't here for that, you can go back and listen to those on our podcast or on our website. But 1 Corinthians 15 is so important for us in understanding 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so I just want to recap it for you. Uh, in this amazing chapter of Scripture, uh, Paul starts near the beginning simply laying out the best news ever, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He writes that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, the plan of God, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He goes on to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saying that Jesus appeared to the apostles and he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And Paul says during the writing of this letter, many of those people are still alive. So feel free to go and interview them if you want. There's adequate testimony that Jesus is not dead, but that he is alive. And because he is alive, Paul says, he is ruling and reigning right now and he is putting all of his enemies underneath his feet. And that Christ will come again. And that there will be a bodily resurrection in which he will bring us into heaven, into paradise with him. And on that day, we will sing together, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there seems to be a twist pointing us towards 1 Corinthians 16. Look with me, if you would, the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It starts by saying, therefore, which it's always good to ask what the therefore is there for. He's saying, therefore, because Christ died for your sins. Therefore, because Christ has risen from the dead, conquering death. Therefore, because Christ is alive. Therefore, because we have a certain hope of a future heaven. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because of the glory of the truths in 1 Corinthians 15, because of that single event of the resurrection, because of the person of Jesus Christ in our life, because of those things, he says, be abounding, overflowing, exceeding in the work of the Lord. Notice he doesn't say be abounding in work. I think we're pretty good at that. Be abounding in playing on your phone and electronics. I think we're pretty good at that. He doesn't say be abounding in sports or academics or vacationing, those are all good things, but he says be abounding in the work of the Lord. And so the question is, in the midst of a very broken country right now, what does it look like for us to abound in the work of the Lord in our daily lives? And that's what he lays out for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Not he doesn't tell us every way, but some important ways that we can abound in the work of the Lord. So 1 Corinthians 16, look with me if you would, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. 
And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a passage we often quickly read over at the tail end of a book of the Bible, and yet there are such rich treasures in here for us to show us what it looks like on a daily basis to abound in your work of redemption in this world. And so God, pray that you would help give us ears to hear and to receive what you have to teach us. And God, give us the endurance to carry it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, abound in the work of the Lord. He's acknowledging that it takes work to abound in the work of the Lord. That it doesn't come easy, that it takes intentionality. It takes sacrifice. It takes persistence to do the work of the Lord. And so how do we abound in the work of the Lord? Well, there's three things that Paul highlights here, and there's certainly more, but at least three that we can look at from this passage. One is by abounding in the work of charity. Now by charity, I'm specifically talking about your money. And we're not preaching on money because Jacob's well is scraping the bottom financially or anything like that. God has actually been very gracious to us. We're talking about money because it's the next thing in the Bible. And we're just going through the Bible. But God cares a lot about your money and your money has a lot to do in the redemption of the world. And we're called to abound in charity, in generosity with our finances. This passage actually answers a lot of questions when it comes to money. And so I wanna try to quickly go through six questions that this passage answers, okay? The first is this, who is to give money? Look at verse one with me. He says, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, just like the Galatians did. This is a universal command. On the first day of the week, each of you, or every single one of you, is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul is saying, listen, if you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, if you have have experienced the power of the resurrection, if Jesus is a part of your life, whether you are in the church of Galatia or Corinth or Green Bay, if you are happy to give or if it is hard for you to give, you are called to give to abound in the work of charity. And so who is to give money? All of God's people are to give money generously. Now, the second question is, when are we to give money? Verse one again, he says, 
Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, again, a universal mandate, he says, so you also are to do. And then he says very clearly, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside. Now, why does he specify the first day of the week? Well, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week. It was Saturday. It was the day that they celebrated God's rest from creation. But the resurrection changes everything, even the Sabbath day. And so the Sabbath day becomes Sunday because Sunday, the first day of the week, was a day of Christ's resurrection. It is the great celebration, the linchpin for Christianity. And so he says, when you gather together to worship on Sundays, come and bring your offering at that time because it is an act of worship as we are giving to the Lord. And so who is to give financially? All of God's people. When are we to give? On Sundays a day because it is an act of worship. The third question is how much money are we to give? This is probably the question many of you are asking. Verse two, he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. And then he says something very interesting. He says, as he may prosper. Other versions translate it as God has prospered you. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, there's not a flat rate. Like everybody needs to chip in $10. It's not like going to the movies where it's the same cost for everyone. Like there's not a set rate, but it is in accordance to your prosperity, financial prosperity. And so there's some sort of ratio that seems to pertain to how much money you make. And the question is, what is that ratio? Well, as we look throughout the scriptures, we see God calls the people to tithe their income, which is to give a tenth of their income. In the Old Testament, when the people neglect to do it, God calls them out. In Malachi 3, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Not 50% of it or 75% of it. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You know, I cannot think of many times in the scripture where God says, test me on this. And yet here he says, test me on this. Give a tithe, a tenth of your income, and you will experience the downpour of God's blessing. It could be financially, sometimes it is, but more than likely it is the blessing of contentment in the Lord, which many people don't have no matter how much money they have. And so he says, test me on this. Now, some think that tithing is just an Old Testament principle that applies to a theocracy when Israel was not only a religious entity, but a political entity. But when we get to the New Testament, where Israel is is no longer a political entity, Rome is governing them, we see Jesus affirming the tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, he says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. This was part of their currency, their income. He says, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, which is tithe your mints and your spices without neglecting the other, which is justice and love of God. You know, I don't know what anybody in the church gives. I don't want to know that is a heavy burden to carry. I want to minister to people without having any prejudice. But God knows and he calls you to tithe. Now, I've, I've had conversations with folks. I, I don't ask people what they give. For some reason, people want to tell me. I'm not sure why. Um, but some people have said, you know, well, we're, we're working up to tithing. We're at 2% now. 
We're hoping to be 3% next year and continue to go upwards. And my pushback on that is that God never calls us to work up to obedience. He just says, be obedient and experience the blessing. And so I know this is a huge step of faith for many of you to even consider this. But God calls us to bring a tithe and experience the downpour of his blessing in your life. And then if you are short, if you can't pay the bills, that's what God has given the church here to do, to help you with those finances. And so the next question here, where are we to give the money? Verse one again, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are to you. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put or to set forth. It's active, it's giving something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. And so Paul is saying, listen, Sunday after Sunday, receive a collection and offering a tithe so that when I come, you're not bringing your collection from home. And there's a massive collection at that time. He's like, give it week after week after week. Give it to the church so that the church can store it up and disperse it in a godly manner. We see this pattern when the church is first being established. In Acts chapter four, uh, people are selling their property and they're taking the profits from it. And we read in Acts 4.35 that they are laying it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. And so it's laying it at the feet of the assembly, the leadership of the church to distribute as they see they have need. I have a friend and he doesn't go to our church. And so I was able to have a very blunt conversation with him. Uh, but he told me that what he does is he has this tithe pool. Uh, he loves the Lord. He's a very generous person. And what he does is he just listens for needs. And if he hears so-and-so has a need, then he'll donate money there and he'll donate money there and he'll donate money there. The problem with that is that Many times people take advantage of the system and, and they can woo you out of money. And so we have a deacon team, we have a mercy ministry team that is continually handling requests and they do a great and diligent job of being gracious and sharing finances and the gospel, but also holding people accountable to living in a way that is godly with their finances and the church knows many confidential things that are going on, many confidential needs that the general public, the general church doesn't need to know and they can distribute them in that way. You know, I worked for a parachurch ministry for a while and I was so convinced that the, that the tithe is to go to the local church that I would write in my support letters that I need your support, but please don't let it take away from your tithe to the local church because that is where God calls us to first priority. And so who should we give the money to, well, we should give our tithe to the church. But God also talks about an offering, which we can give to missionaries and to other organizations. And that would bring us to our next point. Who should handle the money? Verse three says, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit. That is those whom you have tested or examined and scrutinized, okay? That you've approved worthy to handle the money. By letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and we'll talk about why Jerusalem later. He says, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Notice here, Paul doesn't want to touch the money. Paul says, why don't you pick people who you have accredited, multiple people, and send them with the money to Jerusalem? 
The reason why is because Paul knows there needs to be accountability with the finances within the church. You cannot put one person, especially the pastor, in charge of all of the money. It's a very dangerous situation. We are all fallen people who wrestle with greed. And so there must be accountability to those who handle the money in the church. You know, at Jacob's Well, we jokingly call our finance team the financial trinity. Uh, They're nowhere close to being as holy as the real trinity, but we call them the financial trinity because there are three persons who help handle the finances in in a tireless way, in a hidden way that many of us don't know, but they do a lot of work, but we have three of them so that there's accountability. And then when we gather together for our annual meeting every year, we share with you how we have spent the finances of the church because accountability is absolutely essential. Finally, how should we spend the money? Once the money has been collected by the church, how should the church spend the money? Well, verse one says, now concerning the collection for the saints, talking about the Christians in Jerusalem. During this time, there was a famine in Jerusalem And to make matters worse, if someone who was Jewish became a Christian, they were ostracized from their Jewish community, which means that they did not receive the business that they were used to and they would go, their companies would go under and they had no way to bring in income. And so there was a desperate need in Jerusalem. And so Paul was going around the Mediterranean Sea and collecting money to take to the Christians in Jerusalem. Of course, messengers going with him to distribute those needs. But one thing we see here is that our collection should go to the poor. Uh, I get a call about on a weekly basis that I will forward on to our deacons and our mercy ministry team of someone who is in need of financial, uh, financial help. Many in our counseling ministry, I see our counseling ministry need financial help. And so they diligently watch over the distribution of these needs Uh, of of these means to the needy. So one thing we should give to is to give to the poor. Verse six, he goes on and says, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Uh, When Paul says so that you may help me, I do think it's holistic, but it includes finances. It means to send one forth with what they need to continue in their journey. Verse 11 We see it again. So let no one despise him, being Timothy. Help him, again, the same word from verse six, on his way in peace that he may return to me. If we look back at 1 Corinthians chapter nine, you may remember, Paul says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so the money uh, that is collected, that is given, the tithe that is brought in should be used to care for the poor, It should be used to support missions and missionaries and ministry. That's what God has called us to use our resources for, to extend the kingdom of God in these ways. There's a story about Alexander the Great. Uh, He was walking down a road and he passed by a beggar. And this beggar was very courageous uh, to to cry out to Alexander the Great uh, to help him. And the emperor threw to the man several gold, gold coins And one of the emperor's helpers came up to him, kind of just overwhelmed by the generosity of Alexander the Great. And he said, sir, copper coins would have adequately met a beggar's need. Why give him gold? And Alexander responded in royal fashion saying, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suits Alexander's giving. You know, I think so often in the church, 
And I know I am guilty of this, so please hear, I am preaching to myself. So often in the church, we say, what is the minimum amount of money I can give away so that I can keep as much for myself to do really whatever I want? But God is calling us to flip the question. He's calling us to say, how much can we give away? How generous can we be with the resources that he has given to us? After all, it is God's money entrusted to us to steward. How generous can we be to promote the kingdom of God, the kingdom of redemption in this world? You know, I don't think this means that we have to just be willy-nilly with our finances. We can budget this. We can budget how much we will give to the church, how much we will give to missions every year and give accordingly. And so God calls us to do, to abound in the work of the Lord. And one way is by abounding in the work of charity. The second and third way will be much quicker. Uh, Secondly, he says we can abound in the work of the Lord by abounding in the work of ministry. Verse five, Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia. Now, the interesting thing is Paul's writing this from Ephesus, which is on one side of the Aegean Sea. And then he wants to go to Corinth, which is right on the other side of the Aegean Sea. And so to put it in a perspective that you might understand, if you were in the middle of Michigan on the coast on Lake Michigan there, and you wanted to come over to uh, the middle of Wisconsin, right on the coast, the quickest way would be to take the ferry across, right? And it would be the easiest. It may not be the cheapest right now, but it would be the easiest way. Or you could say, I want to go through the UP and come back down. That would be another option as well. And it would take quite a bit longer, um, but it would probably be a little bit cheaper depending on the size of your family. But, but here Paul is taking the way that is both longer and more costly and way more time consuming because he didn't have a car to drive in. But he wants to go through Galatia, excuse me, through Macedonia, because that, as we read in Acts, is is what God put on his heart by the Holy Spirit, to go to Macedonia. And so Paul was going there to do ministry. He was going there to share the good news of the gospel and to encourage the saints in the gospel. That's why he took the long route. He continues in verse eight and says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work or effective ministry has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Did you catch that in verse nine? It seems like there's two contrasting things there that seem to object to one another. He says, there's an open door for ministry and there are many adversaries. I think in American Christian culture, often when we think of of ministry, we're looking for an open door where things are easy, where people are receptive. And Paul says, there's an open door for ministry and there is adversaries. Both of those could be completely true. Matter of fact, Paul's travel plans to spend uh, the the spring in Corinth, uh, excuse me, in Ephesus and the summer traveling through Macedonia and then wintering in Corinth, that was his plan, but it got changed because there was a major riot in Ephesus. The silversmiths who created idols that people were purchased, their, their, their business was going under because people were coming to faith in Christ. Nobody was buying their idols. And so they threw this great riot and Paul was in threat of his life. There was adversity, but also great openness for ministry. I think this is an encouragement and challenge to us. Just because there might be adversity when we talk to others about Jesus doesn't mean there isn't an openness to ministry. Oftentimes, adversity shows that idols are being undermined and being attacked because people get angry when their idols are attacked. And so here's the question 
Are we willing to suffer for the sake of ministry? Are we willing to suffer persecution of the rejection of our family or our friends or our neighbors to share the good news of the gospel with them? You see, ministry is not just for ministers or missionaries. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, the church, for the work of ministry. Some of us are called to travel, share the gospel. Some of us are called to make an income doing ministry. But most of us are like the Corinthians that are called to minister in our everyday life. I have several stories of people in our congregation who've understood their workplace to be a ministry. And because of that, Bible studies have started up in their workplace. Because of that, they have been put in charge of of grief care for those who have lost a loved one or those who are hurting because they have seen their workplace as a ministry. It is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And God is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And so how do we abound in the work of the Lord. We abound in the work of generosity. We abound in the work of ministry. And finally, we abound in the work of community. Again, I just want to remind you that this is work. This does not come easily. It takes effort and investment and intentionality. Look at verse five through seven with me again and notice Paul's longing for community. Verse five, he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. You know, the apostle Paul was a very gifted individual. He had the best education during that time. He was an apostle, meaning he was commissioned by Jesus himself. He was very driven. He was a great evangelist. He planted many churches throughout the Mediterranean Sea. He wrote large portions of the New Testament. And yet, Paul says, I need your help. I need your community. I mean, if anyone could be a lone ranger, it would have been the apostle Paul. If anyone could say, you know, it's just me and Jesus. We got a good thing going. All I need is the Bible. I can go out into the woods and have my worship service there. If anybody could say that, it would be the Apostle Paul. If anyone could say, I'm too busy for community. It was the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul says in verse six, so that you may help me on my journey. I want to spend time with you. I want to winter there with you. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthians, this is a pretty interesting dynamic because the Corinthians church was a messed up church. It was maybe the, <laughs> the worst church in that season, just sin laden, dysfunctional, harmful towards one another. And yet Paul says, I need your help. Paul was coming to help them, but he also needed them to help him. We see it's also true of Timothy down in verse 10. He says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. Don't scare him. Don't frighten him. He's a young guy. He needs your encouragement. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. Listen, if the apostle Paul needed community, if Timothy needed community, if the Lord Jesus needed community amongst the apostles, but amongst the Trinity, if they all needed community, wouldn't it be arrogant or 
at least ignorant of us to say that we don't. To say we are fine on our own. We don't need any other Christians in our life. You know, there's a story of a pastor who was at a church picnic and a man was there who's just, who was really inconsistent at being part of the Christian community. And the pastor was challenging him to be more diligent, to be more persistent on connecting to the church and to being at church and connecting to the community of Christians. And the man came up with all of those reasons that you probably hear, oh, I'm too busy, I have too much to do, or it's not a, not a good night for me, or whatever, it's inconvenient for whatever reasons. And so the pastor was there in front of his grill with, with this heap of hot coals. And he took one of the hot coals and he put it to the side and he asked the man, he said, what's gonna happen to that coal? And the man said, that coal is slowly gonna get cold. And he said, the same thing happens when you separate yourself from community with the body of Christ. You see, we need each other. One of God's greatest gifts to Jacobswell Church is you. We need to commune with one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to love one another, to support one another, to help one another. You know, I don't think there's any mistakes. I think God in his providence placed this passage here the very day that we're doing small group signups to encourage you to step out in faith, to sign up, to connect to other believers in Christ. And if you don't connect here, connect somewhere with other believers in Christ because we need community. We were made for community. And when we isolate, we grow cold. Let me end with this. Um, I realize that as we look through this passage, it seems extremely challenging to many of us to be generous with our money, um, to, 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 to be involved in ministry, to seek out community. It seems like we have to give up a lot to do that, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like, okay, why would I give up money when, I, when that means I can't buy some things that I would really like to have? Or why would I minister to others when it's just gonna spark adversity? in that community? Why would I seek community when I have other things to get done? Why would I do these things? Why would I work for these things? It's because Jesus is alive and that he is working in your life and in your community and in your world. And he's called you to be part of God's people for that endeavor. But it's more than that. God gives a promise when you do the work of the Lord, when you abound in the work of the Lord. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine if you were at a, at a basketball game, NBA game or college basketball game. And you know how they have that, that, that game where someone comes down and they shoot the ball from half court. And if they make the shot, they win like $10,000 or they get their tuition paid off or things like that. I'm sure all of you've probably seen something like that. Well, imagine if instead of having to make the basket, all you had to do was shoot the ball. That's all you had to do. And there would be a payout of $10,000. How many of you would come down to the court for that? I know I would come down to the court for that, right? Because there's a guarantee. All you got to do is make an effort and there's going to be a payout. It's guaranteed. When we look at the end of chapter 15, verse 58, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And this is so critical. He says, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. God is giving us a promise. God is giving you a guarantee. It's a written legal contract in scripture. God is promising you this, that if you abound in the work of the Lord, if you abound in charity, if you abound in ministry, if you abound in community, it will never be in vain. 
It will always bear fruit. It's a promise you can take to the bank. It's a promise you can depend on. It's a promise you can build your life around. Church, our world is very broken right now. Our country is broken. Our state is broken. We are broken. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these great truths of the scripture that we labor and as we labor, it is never in vain, God. Lord, again, pray that you would shake us out of our idleness, Lord, out of our half-heartedness, God. Help us, Lord, to abound in your work of ministry and charity and community. Help us to love one another and love those around us, God, that we might be part of your redemption of the world. Grant us grace to do this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you trust in Christ for your salvation, if, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and it has impacted your life and your relationship with Christ, we come to the Lord's table. If you're here today and you don't trust Christ, if you don't know if you're a Christian, we ask that you would wait. But if you do, please take the elements in the seat in front of you. The Lord Jesus abound in the work of the Lord, didn't he? He abounded on our behalf. He did it all for our salvation. The Lord Jesus on a night when he was betrayed took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. In the same way after supper, he took the cup he said, drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you did not do your work halfway. But at the cross, you said, it is finished. You completed your goal of paying for our sin to reconcile us to our Father. God, pray that through the nourishment of this supper, you would help us today, this week, this year, and the rest of our lives to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that no matter what we do, the work is never in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you would please stand for our final song.
Hear now God's benediction from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Have an abounding week. A world away and still not far Like fabric woven into ours The dawn is shot out through the night And day is coming soon The kingdom of the morning star Can pierce a cold and stony heart its grace went through me like a sword and came out like a song. Now I'm just waiting for the day in the shadows of the dawn. <laughs>